The Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the Tiger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he it. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nice Warner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Friday the 23rd, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. morning. Happy rainy Friday. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Another rainy day, but uh, it looks like, well, <laughs> I guess depending on what weather service you use, the one I look at looks like we're going to have a nice sunny day tomorrow, but uh, Luke, the one you were looking at says it might be a little rainy. Well, it says we were going to get banged up yesterday. Today, it looks a little bit drier, maybe some thunderstorms in the mid-afternoon. I'm not going to give an AccuWeather forecast, but <laughs> mm-hmm. you know things change, yeah. especially when you've got, uh, it looks like it's going to be in the high 50s tonight and then get up to the 80s, so that pretty much means you can have a thunderstorm at any point oh, in yeah. time. So. I've been watching this uh, YouTube page called Ryan Hall, y'all, right. <laughs> which is the most YouTube page ever. But he's this meteorologist guy, and he's been talking about all these hurricanes. And we're in a really weird uh, pressure spot right now, fellas, across the U.S., where uh, it could potentially impact us more in the winter. And they're saying that we could have, like, one of the worst winters ever at this point in time, which, oh, oh the last thing great. I need to be thinking about is trying to figure our way out to, like, Mansfield, Pennsylvania, oh, <laughs> 40 gosh. feet of snow. What, what I do want to say, though, is the weather affects the potential Legion game we were going to have tomorrow uh, from Frederick. They're playing Berks County at 1130 in the morning. And whether or not it's going to rain tomorrow morning, it's going to pour rain this evening. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I guess uh, two ways. You can either go to our Twitter and I'll tweet out if it gets canceled, or you can turn on your radio at 1130 a.m. tomorrow. And if there's not a game, the game's been canceled. <laughs> yeah, see what you get. Yeah, just <laughs> roll the dice. Life's like uh, a box of chocolates with WBO. That's very true. That's very true. Well, uh, of course, everybody's pretty pretty familiar now with the whole uh, Bob Huggins saga, him resigning and things. So there's a lot of uh, limbo right now with West Virginia basketball. Um, we were talking earlier in the week how you know players have a specified amount of time now that they can enter the transfer portal and do things. And we weren't necessarily sure if many players, if any, were going to go because like we've talked about this is one of the best set up WVU basketball teams for success in a long time it just sucks that you know all the coaching dramas happened in the last couple of months but it looks like they might have a front runner there but unfortunately one of their key players in that uh in this West Virginia Mountaineer basketball team has entered the transfer portal yeah a really weird situation that I want to get your guys' opinion on on here in just a second but like you mentioned Trey Mitchell who came here from Texas is in the transfer portal not that big of a surprise to be honest with you the back end of last season Trey Mitchell just kind of looked indifferent <clears throat> He was one of their best, if not their best, offensive player through their non-conference schedule in the beginning of conference play and then kind of started to struggle to get his shot uh, when conference play really starting to started to bear down. Um, it's a big loss because that's a position that they don't have a lot of flexibility at. The Mountaineers have notoriously struggled at the power forward position. They've played a lot of two-center lineups and some small ball lineups. I mean, ever since... I guess Kevin Jones, really. They haven't had a great... Issa Maud was an okay power forward, but he was more of a three. So that's a big loss in and of itself. Fans remember 
Um, RJ Sunahara from Division Two Nova Southeastern. It's a power forward that visited here that ended up not transferring. His dad is the current uh, volleyball coach at WVU. Uh, he didn't come here because of Trey Mitchell, and now you really don't have a power forward on the roster. You've got Sumnick, but he's more of a five. Uh, so I would expect, in terms of what this means strategically for the Mountaineers, to either try to get one more player out of the portal at the power forward position or play a lot of smaller lineups. I don't see them playing with two bigs with the bigs they have on the roster. So you would expect somebody to shove down, you know, maybe battle to the power, uh, yeah, the power forward position. So it's 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 a pretty big loss because it was one of the big first prizes that Bob Huggins had gotten out of the transfer portal. But I wanted to ask you guys this because this is getting a little bit weird, and so let's get a little bit weird with it. The, the John Beeline stuff over the last couple of days, and let's preface by saying this, that we are a part of the mothership of Metro News, but we're not in daily rundowns with – you know, with Hoppy, with Brad, with Tony, we communicate with those guys every once in a while, but we're not necessarily in the inner circle. Two days ago, Brad Howe goes on Sportsline and waxes poetic about John Beeline coming for, back to the Mountaineers for like 15 minutes, completely out of nowhere. And then Hoppy Kirchival the next day brings Brad on to talk about it again during Talkline. And then Brad last night on Sportsline triples down on why Ooh. John Beeline would be a great fit for the Mountaineers. Do you think they've they've sniffed something out? I'm not implying that they know anything because they all keep saying they don't know anything. But why? And I the sound three like, separate people is. I something. sound like Brian yeah. Windhorst. Why would Metro News? Why be exactly when there's smoke, there's fire? Why <laughs> are we pounding the John Beeline narrative into the ground if not for the fact that he is the current front runner for the job? If you were to ask me, what do you think about John? John Beeline, when he was kind of rumored as one of the candidates for this head coaching job, it's the, uh, my reaction to that is the same thing, that every time a WVU football coaching change is mentioned, people says, oh, we should bring back Jimbo Fisher. Right. You know what I mean? Like, bring Rich Rod back. Exactly. Yeah. Or Nick Saban. Nick Saban's from West Virginia. Why doesn't he come back? So I didn't buy it. But there's, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. We've been talking a lot on this network. And, again, I'm not saying they know anything. I don't know anything. Why are we talking so much about John Beeline? That, mm. it's, it would be a great hire, but it's it's interesting that that's what's been dominating the headlines from our, our people over the last couple of days. What do you think, Park? You think it'd be a good fit? It would be an interesting fit as a short-term solution. I think is the best way to go about it because I mean, John Beeline's almost seventy years old. I can't imagine yeah. he's going. Well, to Bob be, Huggins is the same age. Right? Yeah, but again, I can't, I can't imagine this being a long-term solution as well. You got to put together a package that fits John Beeline for I would say a short period of time because you got to persuade him to leave a job within an NBA organization so you got to appeal to him and bring him a package that is going to make him leave Michigan where he's been for around close to two decades now and come back to Morgantown I don't know if they have that package in them what it would take I have no idea probably a significant pay uptick from what he's getting over at Michigan, and I'm not too sure what it's going to be. I know they had a sit-down kind of talk with Everhart and Eilert yesterday about potentially the head coaching job. I think if they're able to swing it and both parties can come to the agreement, I think that a interim role for John Beeline as head coach would be great, especially for this one season, or not two. It could be a year-by-year basis type of thing, sort of like what you were going to do with Hoggins before he got himself into the situation he got himself in. Take it a year to year basis. Be okay. Do you want? You know, I'd say a max three years with John Beeline because I think the biggest takeaway, and I think everyone's in a sort of consensus about this, you want to 
maximize the roster you've brought in this season and potentially in the next season. Because if you throw away a transfer class of Kirk Kreisha, Jesse Edwards, and you're playing and getting knocked out in the round of 32 or the first round or not even making the NCAA tournament, it's a massive loss for the university. Then why don't they just keep it in-house if, uh, with a couple of those assistant coaches you guys have brought up that seem like they'd be good fits? I agree. That was my original assumption. But people are saying saying that if John Beeline comes back, he's going to keep this staff. The, the way of looking at it is John Beeline, the, 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 let's say these are the three candidates right now. And again, I don't know anything. I'm out here at Martinsburg. I don't know exactly what's going on. But Andy Kennedy, Ben McCollum, and John Beeline. Let's just say it's those three. Andy Kennedy is exactly what Neil Brown was when the Mountaineer football team hired him. A mid-major coach that had slain some giants and had some prolonged success. I understand he was in the SEC before that, but he took a terrible SEC program and made them an all right SEC program. Uh, and then he went to UAB. So it would be like hiring Neil Brown. At the time, does it seem like it's a, a, a fit to make some progress? Sure. But it may not also work out. And then Ben McCollum's coming from Division Two. You know, I mean, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to. The Division Two basketball, as we've seen up close and personal, it's a completely different ball game. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got teams that score 120 points per game. You know, Shepard plays power forwards and centers that are six foot seven. You know, you can't do that in college basketball uh, or Division One college basketball, I should say. Um, so he would be a little bit shaky in and of itself. You've got assistant coaches that, again, we like to take over the job because they'll keep this roster together, not necessarily because they're great head coaches. Ronnie Everard had a chance to be a head coach, and he ended up as an assistant coach for the rest of his career. You know, Eilert's young. Um, the 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 coach they brought in in the winter of last season is young too. Doesn't have a lot of experience. When John Beeline left to coach the Cavaliers, he was inarguably a top fifteen coach in college basketball, if not top ten. So John Beeline presents the only top 20 level head coach that would be interested in this position at this point in time. That's what makes him so appealing. He's been here before. He's won here before. He's a great offensive mind. He's an unbelievable recruiter. You know, he brought the Wagners into the world uh, for Michigan straight to the NBA. Um, And then he has that NBA experience, both coaching the Cavaliers, which didn't last long and ended unceremoniously and working with the Pistons. So that's what makes him appealing as a candidate. And again, like I said, I would expect him to keep most, if not all, of the staff. But I agree with what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, when Just they keep the transition easier. You know? When they talk to yeah. Eilert, that's exactly why. Uh, we were worried about losing Jesse Edwards and Kirk Kreisha, and I still kind of am. But Kreisha came back to practice. Edwards has been at practice uh, working with the team. So, you know, that's the best case scenario right now and hopefully whoever the head coach is isn't going to shake up the roster too much. Phil, where are we feeling in terms of optimism towards this upcoming season because there's not that much time left uh, until you know we get to that uh, first weekend of basketball. So how are we feeling team-wise? I mean, if John Beeline's the head coach, I, I guess I'll plant my flag and say that I would be shocked if they didn't finish in the top four in the Big 12. I'd be shocked if they didn't finish the season ranked or just outside of the top 25 if they keep the roster. I know we just said Trey Mitchell's gone. If they keep that roster. Does John Beeline want to come back and coach? I don't know. He was on three guys a couple of weeks ago when he came back to run a camp in, in Fairmont. And what he said, exactly what he said was, every year I watch March Madness and I get the itch to coach again. Mm -hmm. But then I think about the summer, and then I think about recruiting, and then I think about NIL. So I still don't know if he even wants to coach. If he's the head coach, I think they're they're an NCAA tournament team no matter what. I think they compete for the title. If they keep an in-house hire and they keep the majority of the roster, basically, uh, I'll stop talking and say this. If they keep the majority of the roster, they're an NCAA tournament team. Uh, if they bring in a coach that leads to a significant amount of turnover, then this program is going to really struggle. Well, if it's any merit, <clears throat> this 
smoke about John Beeline is going outside the state of West Virginia, too, because there's a Michigan articles talking about this now that him being rumored going to the Mountaineer job. But I'm in the consensus. I think if John Beeline makes the decision and he wants to come back and coach the Mountaineers, I think this is a team that has expectations to make it to a Final Four. I really do. You look at the roster that you brought in. These are top guys at top programs. Kirk Risha leaves Arizona. That's been a powerhouse in the Pac-12 for seasons on end now. Comes to Morgantown. Jesse Edwards over at Syracuse. We know the storied history with the Syracuse Orange basketball program. Comes to the Mountaineers. So, again, it, it all boils down to... Can you bring in the right guy? Can you keep the roster together? Those are the two things that determine how far this team will go this season. If you bring in John Beeline, I think all these guys are going to stay because he's a Hall of Fame-level college basketball coach. If you're bringing in an assistant and elevating them, while I think that's probably better for the long term, I I don't know how effective these guys are going to play for, no offense to to Eilert or Ron Everhart, but these guys came to play for Bob Huggins. So it's it's a situation where I think it's, is it Beeline or bust? I don't necessarily think it's that point, but if you get him, I think you've completely elevated your expectations for the season going from a team trying to make the NCAA tournament to trying to make a Final Four. Well, what do you think out there? Text us 304-263-4321, or you can tweet us at EP Sports Network. We'll be back on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. You can text us 304-263-4321. You can always listen back to any of the shows you miss over on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. Um, one thing that I don't think you two necessarily care about at all, but what I think is pretty cool, is the current race across of race across America, right? So it says bike race starts in California and it ends in Annapolis, Maryland of all places, even though it's still missing like what? 300 miles of the country, I guess, to get to the uh, ocean, but it's a self-supported bike race. You can kind of compare it to the tour de France, right? But it's just one person, their crew in a van, and you're just going straight across the country. And right now, most of them are pretty much done. The last uh, person, last place is just coming through St. Louis at the moment. Crossing the river, uh, they're getting out of St. Louis, but a lot of people are pretty much bottlenecked right in our neck of the woods, and uh, a lot of really fun races going on. A lot of people in um, Frederick, or I'm uh, sorry, in Frostburg and Cumberland, and then uh, people have already finished. Two people have already finished. Amelia Bergarian from somewhere over in Europe, and Team Figgy, who is, uh, I think, an American guy. American um, hasn't cool. won it since 2003. Mm-mm. Dude, it's incredible the distances that these people uh, travel just. On a bicycle, but uh, you look at the map, and once you get through Denver and Colorado and whatnot, it doesn't, I mean, look that bad. (laughs) (laughs) On this super zoomed out map, it doesn't look that bad, but then they have a pretty brutal trip across the state of West Virginia. They enter right in downtown Parkersburg, and then they pop out uh, through pretty much Seneca Rocks, and then uh, up into Garrett County, past Deep Creek and things like that. So, no thanks. So, it looks like, so just to put it in perspective, the last American that won it was Alan Larson in 2003. He went from San Diego to California in eight days, 23 hours, and 36 minutes, which is 2,921 miles, which is disgusting. So, the person in third place right now, Issa Pulver, uh, Pulver, rather, has already completed 3,025 miles, and she is, well, on the final stretch. She's about, by car, I'd say 25 minutes outside of Annapolis. So, 
pretty interesting stuff. It comes through the area, so if you uh, around this time of year, anytime you uh, you can pop up on them, just so give them a little space, all right? Because I like I was telling y'all, they used to come right past my house, literally directly in front of my house in Cumberland. We sit out there and cheer them on and stuff, and they looked like they were dying. And they <laughs> you literally are. I mean, you're killing yourself doing stuff like that. But you know, those ultra marathon, those ultra athlete people, they're a different breed, and that's certainly not me. Well, speaking of biking, you got about you got a race this mm. weekend, don't you? Don't remind me, dude. Don't remind <laughs> me. Are we less than 24 hours away? Oh, yeah. Uh, when's 10 o'clock. First one's at 10 uh, o'clock. Second one's at like one thirty. Oh, there's two? Yeah. Well, there's a bunch throughout the day. I'm in two Well, of them. you're in two of them? Okay. Yeah. Figured give myself enough chance. The first one, I was looking at it today. The first one at 10 o'clock it might be a little bit higher category than I'm Uh-oh. ready for at the current moment. So that'll just kind of be my warm-up race. And then there you go. knock, it, knock down the uh, difficulty, maybe, uh, a little bit later on. But, yeah, I was hoping for some rain. Uh, to kind of even the playing field a little bit. But like I was saying earlier in the show, I was looking at the uh, weather. And it looks like it's going to be beautiful tomorrow. So well, There you go. Yeah, we'll see. You've been able to get out and uh, experience any of the outdoors around here now that you've lived up here, Park? I've been a little bit. I went for a uh, jog to where our apartment building's at to mm-hmm. War Memorial and back. There you go. I, I, that was a nice old, little over two miles if you jog the whole way. But Yeah, it's cool. It was a nice little, nice little trail. You were mentioning there was a ton of trails and stuff around here too, which is really cool. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not not give away your precise location, but you (laughs) guys. The mayor does it anytime he's on Panhandle Live, so it's fine. (laughs) The that Frog Hollow Trail is going to be really close to your place. Well, it's already pretty much open. I mean, all like the construction gates and stuff are down. They just haven't officially opened it yet. And oh yeah, it's it's super nice. Starts there at the uh, where you go under the railroad tracks at the train station downtown. And it goes pretty, it pretty much kicks you out right in front of Martinsburg High. So it's a nice oh, little wow. trail. It's paved. I've been walking the dog up and down that. And uh, at certain points, you don't even realize you're in downtown Martinsburg. It's nice. There you go. You can incorporate that into your well, there you go into your uh, movement. <laughs> it's all about movement. You on Strava? I am on Strava. I don't get on it nearly as much oh, as I used God. to, but I, I have the app on. My I don't phone. think I you're do. not really working out unless you put on Strava. So I don't believe that you went on a run. You'll have to do like a a running to biking conversion table, and then have some Strava competitions coming up here in the mm, next couple months. We get, the, do that. get the boys in great shape. Yes, yeah, I need something oh, to motivate yeah. me. I thought the two bike races would, and that obviously. Can, what what do you think? Just ballpark uh, the conversion rate from bicycling to running is five miles to a mile, or is that two? Uh, six. I'd miles? say somewhere around there. Okay. I'd say something like that. What's your mile split for like right now or like <laughs> I you st- we're going to say four minutes? <laughs> no, uh, three, no. three fifteen. I thought he was about to say uh, four thirty, four thirty. <laughs> Things I don't know. I'll have to look at that during the break. Yeah, like know. my some of my better runs that I think I had when I was well in running shape was I think probably like 650, 645. You had to have run a sub six mile. Yeah, you, were, yeah. you had to have been faster. Than I mean, yeah, for like, I was talking like elongated runs, like oh, three okay. to five miles. Like my, my, like if I'm just running a straight mile, like at my best, I probably was like somewhere in my the best, 440s. My best 32 was uh, 11 flat. So that's what, for like 30 a mile? Yeah, I, I don't miss running that at all. <laughs> I, I hated the two-mile and track. I miss so being in that good of shape. Much. I don't know if I miss the meets, but I miss being the, in that good of shape. The the only, I only ran the two-mile two times during the regular track season in high school. One time was to qualify for the conference meet. The other time was to qualify for the regionals. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. it. Yeah, I do not miss running track. I'm glad my legs started to explode on me once <laughs> I got to college, so I didn't have to run so much anymore. But I averaged about... Anywhere between like eighteen to twenty-five miles an hour, for like call it twenty miles. So you're, you're talking about cycling now, yeah. yeah. So okay. if you want to talk about the conversion, yeah, I'm not running that fast. Yeah. 
<laughs> Trust me, definitely not. Well, we do got to get to this bottom of our break, and we'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. You can text us 304-263-4321. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. It was the NBA draft last night, the first and second rounds of the NBA draft, and it looks like the first three went as expected. Victor Womanyama at number one to San Antonio, going to uh, Charlotte, Brandon Miller, and then going to Portland at number three, Scoot Henderson. So other than that, I mean, there were a couple of surprises here and there, but it seems like for the most part, at least from what I've been seeing, uh, that it was a fairly two-script first and second round draft. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, people would argue that the Thompson brothers probably shouldn't have gone back-to-back, that Amen's better than Azure Thompson. Um, I would have been happy with either of them going to the Wizards. Black Anthony Black rising up to six kind of confirms some of the pre-draft hype. In terms of players that fell, people were surprised that Cam Whitmore ended up at 20. I think there were some reasons away from the court that we don't know yet that explain why he fell to that pick. I think Jaime Jaquez at 18 was a little too high for Miami, but that's a very Miami pick as somebody that can plug and play right now and do a handful of things. But the thing I wanted to talk about, since they're a local team and we don't get to talk about them very much because they're terrible, um, is the draft that the Wizards had. I mean, it was legitimately the best draft I think they've had since they took Bradley Beal. I'm really excited for the outlook of this team. Uh, early on, they take Bilal Koulibaly. Well, they end up getting him from the Pacers, so if you look at the results, it's a little bit muddled. Uh, but Bilal Koulibaly is a teammate of Victor Wimbanyama. He's only 18 years old, 7-foot wingspan. There are some similarities between him right now and Giannis Antetokounmpo at this point in his career. You know, that's the kind of potential that he possesses. You know, worst case scenario, he's a 3 and D guy that's one of the best dunkers in the NBA. Best case scenario, you know, he's Giannis or OG Ananobi or a a star-level player that's got tremendous range and a very good defender. He's a very good project for a rebuilding team. They take Vucevic in the second round. Tristan Vucevic comes from overseas. Hopefully they buy out his contract and he can play right away. He's a 7-footer with tremendous range who in one uh, pre-draft scrimmage at 21 points in 17 minutes. So I'm very excited to see his offensive output if he gets the chance to play. Uh, and then they pick up Baldwin from the Warriors and trading their last pick, which gives them death, depth excuse me, at the small forward position, which they haven't had since 2016 when they had Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre and Boyan Bogdanovich. So the Wizards didn't get the best assets for the players that they traded away. I know that the NBA has been dunking on them for that, but they made – Three really, really capable moves yesterday to give them players with tremendous upside uh, to build for the future. The thing, the stat that's most alarming to me about this organization, and it helps to characterize how poor the Wizards have been run, they haven't had a second-round pick play minutes for them since 2012, Thomas Sadoransky. And it took Thomas Sadoransky four years to get into the NBA. I think that Vucevic can, can buck that trend in the same with uh, Baldwin, I know he he was a first-round pick last year, but they get him for a second-round pick. Great draft by Washington. I'm excited now to see what Victor Wembanyama can do with the Spurs because with him and Devin Vassell and the athletic you know Johnson that they have there in San Antonio, the Spurs are going to be a fun team to watch next year. Uh, and like you said, the draft went pretty much as expected. Very talented draft class. Uh, you know, Keontae George going to the Jazz. The Jazz have a really fun young roster with him, Walker Kessler and the like. 
Uh, and Grady Dick had the worst suit jacket that I've ever seen in my entire. It was red sequins with shoulder pads. See, like I said, Jack Harlow Parker ruined everything. <laughs> Everybody's just trying to look like Jack. Harlow. Well, his explanation for it was he's originally from Kansas and he went to Kansas, so he was saying it was an homage to what cherry red. Well, the cherry red with the uh, why? Why am I blanking? On, why am I blanking on the, the name? Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I, I don't know why I just blanked on the Wizard of Oz, but oh, it was an homage oh, to the Wizard oh, of Oz oh, and Dorothy oh, Slippers. Well, why don't you just like sequin shoes and wear a red jacket? Right. I don't know. You can see yeah. the discipline. Your, your son's I about to get taken saying. in the first round and be a millionaire, and his dad just the disappointment in his eyes was just palpable. <laughs> That's almost the most fun thing to watch the NBA draft nowadays. The first, especially the first couple rounds, is just to see what these guys are wearing. Well, that and it's been a little while since we had it, but we had a, uh, a suit jacket, no shirt yesterday. <laughs> oh, that, I hadn't seen one of those in a while. <laughs> what a move! I dude. think the, the worst draft crimes. How, how what are we like five years removed from people going suit top, dress shorts, bottom? Right. That was that and was. Then it was the, or the NFL draft where everybody was doing the crop top shirts, right? <laughs> Lord, I mean, hey, Gosh. if I looked like some of these dudes, I'd probably do it too. Why not? I mean, if you're getting ready to make that much money. Sure, sure. Why who, not? who cares? Yeah, who cares if uh, you got things like sites like Barstool Sports tweeting your videos saying you look like a Christmas ornament? <laughs> who cares? You know, yeah. it's people noticing you. Well, what do you think, Park? How'd your uh, how'd your C's do in the draft? Um, not too much. They traded out of the first round, and then the only selection they made was Julian Phillips from Tennessee. Not going to lie, I don't know too much about Julian Phillips. Mm-hmm. So I, we'll have to see. Probably a two-way player for a G League guy, for mostly for the Celtics. They're a team that they don't need to really work the draft right now. They have a roster to compete. They sent stuff out to go get Porzingis, and that's really what how they're trying to build their roster, I think, between Tatum, Brown, and Porzingis at this point. The worry, I think, is going to be when you've got to sign inevitably Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to Supermax contracts, which both those guys are going to get, whether it be from Boston or somebody else, they're going to get those contracts. And I guess the worry I have is, is Porzingis a one-year rental, or is he going to stay in Boston long-term? He'll be there long-term. He's 28. Yeah, he's old I now. hope so. Although, I, last year was one of his best production yeah, he, years. He was right? a really good year. Ever, yeah. Yeah. It's just he put up great numbers for a bad team. Right. Yeah, and I think he's gonna he's gonna bring what Boston hasn't had, I think, in a long time, and that's a pick and pop big. The last time they had that was Kevin Garnett with the ability. He's better offensively than Kevin Garnett. I I say that with impunity. He's not Who? no uh, Porzingis. He's nowhere near as good defensively. I'm no. not saying he's better than KG, but like, offensively <laughs> he is better than Kevin Garnett. Yeah. So that I mean, it's a I I, I can't understate how much I like that move for the Celtics. I will say this: KG, one of the most underrated mid range shooters Absolutely. of all time. He wouldn't do well in today's NBA because no one shoots mid-range jumpers no. anymore. I mean, he and was you can't talk like he, like he used to anymore. <laughs> he was. There's a couple of different players. Um, I'm, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Michigan guy, power forward, played for the Warriors and the Wizards. Is all over television now. Called the timeout. Chris Webber. Oh yeah, he's Chris. Go. Chris Webber. Kevin Garnett. He played for the Wizards. Um, he was traded on draft night. No, yeah. he was traded after one year. Yeah. Anyways. They are big NBA what ifs to me because they didn't value shooting in their careers because they didn't need to because that's mm-hmm. not how the NBA played. You know, if they shot the ball well from three, which they did on occasion, they would have had very different NBA careers. So it's hard to conflate the two. But again, I'll say that I'll say it again. Porzingis had twenty two and eight last year. He's an elite shooter and led the NBA in points per post up. So that's exactly what the Celtics need to get that athletic big to get him down there with Williams. If you want, you know, that kind of athleticism or the, 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 the chest that you can play in the front court with him and Horford on the floor at the same time. It's a, it's a really, really good move. Now Joe Mazzulla has got to coach him, which we expect him to do, but you know, pressure's on. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we'll see. Still got a couple more uh, rounds to go. The Knicks didn't have a pick in either of them, so I didn't watch a single second. <laughs> Did you see the draft. rumor flying around that the Knicks were inquiring about Paul George? Yeah, they, uh, yeah. they're worried about his injury history, yeah. but they do want to trade. The, the and fl- who else was it that said uh, that they rejected going to New York? Uh, the, uh, one of the other big-name guys that's out there right now. What's funny with the Knicks right now is they need to do the right thing and they need to get better because yeah. right now they are a first or second round exit. Well, team. they have mm-hmm. Obi Toppin's brother. They got him on a two way thing. Right. So we'll and, see and how they, that works. they talked about trading Toppin if things mm-hmm. don't work out. The thing about the Knicks right now is, like I said, the best case scenario you're a second round exit team, but you've got the moves to make you know to get a star. You've got to trade somebody, and that somebody logically is Julius Randle. And from what I understand, they're asking for way too much for Julius Randle. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to break it up and let RJ develop, let quickly develop, and give Toppin a chance to play and do something other than, you know, spot up and shoot because that's not what he does. Uh, so uh, they need to trade Randall, but they need to trade him for the right return. So uh, that's that's what the Knicks are going. It's going to be interesting to see what they do over the next couple of days. Well, if you were in the if you were in the shoes of the Knicks, who would you want to go after then? If you if you look to ship Julius Randall, what do you I mean, think? Carl Anthony return? Towns looks like the best one oh, so I, I, far. Dude, anything yeah. they get Carl yeah. Anthony Towns to New York, absolutely. I but mean, I, feel, I feel like Minnesota will ask way too much for Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. So. I mean, of course, it's their guy. I don't know. Knicks got some money to throw around. And I thought the funny stat that came out on uh, Twitter yesterday was the Knicks' uh, only draft pick in the last two years, Trevor Keels. Oh, yeah, I remember Trevor hmm. Keels. Yeah, Trevor Keels. So, the last two years, and, I mean, I don't think he's ever – well, he's got a picture in a Knicks jersey on the court somewhere. <laughs> so, I guess he did get a little bit of playing time. But, yeah, NBA draft, you never know what to expect with the NBA draft, although it looked like this year uh, definitely was as expected. So, let's transition here to a little baseball talk, fellas. Uh, LSU, they walk it off to beat Wake Forest in 11 innings. That was a pretty exciting game. I think this has been one of the best. Now, of course, going into this College Baseball World Series, you had the most talent, I think, ever compiled in Omaha. But this has been one of the more exciting and most fun College Baseball World Series to watch, I think. I think so, too. Uh, it was uh, really, really fun to watch. Unfortunately, Wake gets bounced. And again, the, that trend continues of number one overall seeds not being able to win the College World Series. I feel bad that I haven't watched as much of this College mm-hmm. World Series because, like you said, it sounds like it's been riveting. I've been watch- I was watching the NBA draft while this was all going on um, and-, and I had some buddies that were saying in the group chat, I didn't get to see the play uh, that that first baseman made until in the eighth inning, uh, flipping home on the-, on the squeeze play. It was unbelievable. So LSU wins in extra innings. It was, two to- it was scoreless going into the 11th. They won two zip. Knockout wake, advance to the finals. I mean, it's going to be fun to see how this concludes. College World Series is a really, really, really fun event. I wish that they would do a little bit more to dress it up, to be completely honest with you, because it's one of those things that kind of pops up. And ESPN's catalog is so big that it just kind of gets buried. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, really exciting baseball that was played. And I'll say this too, Jordan. You might be seeing a future Washington National and Paul Skeens on the mound too, because he Bring him. he looked Damn. fantastic. There's a clip up of him throwing a – change up i'm looking at this right now it throws a change up at around 90 at a ton of movement in that then, then throws then throws 100 mile an hour right after that and he had multiple multiple great strikeouts in this game and it's i think and i doubled down on it yesterday i think it's the truth i think since lsu won this series i think they're going to sweep florida and take the college world series i really mm. do these were the two best teams in baseball i knew it was going to come down to these two wake forest's pitching was fantastic it was a these were the two best teams in college baseball going at it. And I think this was this was the national championship game because I Florida's had a great run. Florida's been fantastic. But I think the talent 
of LSU, or if they would have won this series, Wake Forest would have been too much for Florida. So I think LSU will sweep the College World Series, take it in two games, and the Tigers will lift the national championship. It's funny you bring up uh, Steven Strasburg. I was watching a video the other day about, um, it was asking Nationals fans, do you think that Steven Strasburg was a bust? And I thought, I mean, for years I've been saying they should have dealt him when they could have got a little bit for him still before he completely got dead arm and then they had to trade or trade him or get rid of him for nothing. But, I mean, no, he didn't bring much of the or any of the regular season success that everybody was expecting, you know, multiple Cy Youngs, MVPs, what have you, strikeout leader, all that kind of stuff. But that being said, if it's not for the 5-0 and that he went through that playoff run, and especially in the World Series – I mean, my goodness, uh, the Nats don't win that World Series. So what do you guys think, outside looking in? Do you think Strasburg's career is a Nat bust, good enough, about average? What do you think? I think he had a great career. Eight seasons, 20 starts or more. People, you know, dog on him for being the guy that was hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he went through a stretch there, and like you said, involving winning a a championship. Three-time All-Star, a couple times he finished in the top uh, of Cy Young voting. Never won a Cy Young, unfortunately. Um, and then just was a complete non-factor from the years like that to follow. The thing about baseball prospects, it's I think it's hard to call somebody that had that much success a bust because of how many first-round picks in baseball don't pan out to be anything because yeah. of how unreliable of a draft it was. In the NBA, yes. In the NFL, yes. In the NHL, probably. But for baseball, as unpredictable as it is, especially for a high school kid, which he was, uh, I remember his – I mean – in the sense that he, well, he was a, good at San Diego. Yeah, you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the sense that um, his debut was the most anticipated. Uh, it was a national event. It was, it was the I most was anticipated debut. Oh, were you? I was there. Yeah. Of my childhood as a baseball fan. I can't remember being more excited for a non-cardinal prospect than watching Steven Strasburg. And it was funny you mentioned that about Skinner's he threw a 92 mile an hour changeup in his debut. Strasburg did, and we all thought that was the craziest thing we'd ever seen in our entire lives. So I wouldn't call it a bust. No, I don't. He's not a Hall of Famer. Right. He's no, a Nats Hall so. of Famer, mm-hmm. but he's not yeah. a Hall of Famer. But I think it was a productive career. I mean, if he's just not hurt 90 percent of the time, it seems like, then maybe I think a little bit different. I, I'm not going to say it's a bust, but I think it was a underwhelming career as a Nat. No, from I'm, what I was, from what I and the Royal Wees Nats fans were expecting it to be. Now, when you have a guy this hype come in as a number one overall pick, you're expecting, well, LeBron James levels right. of culture changing in your franchise. And while Strasburg, I don't think, brought that, I think what he did was palpable enough to not call him a bust, I think, because he, he, had, there was, he threw some great years. It's a shame his arm gave out on him and betrayed him. But I think from what he gave and from what his prime was, because his prime years were fantastic. Mm-hmm. You've got you to think about that, too. Now the the longevity you that's where Leroy your gripe would be at, but I think for what he brought in his prime to a Nationals franchise that was struggling to turn it around and hopefully and help bring the building blocks in that would eventually lead to a World Series a few years ago. Right, I wouldn't call him a bust at all. I I think he's I think Luke said it correctly. He is a Nats Hall of Famer. I wouldn't say anything more than that because of what he didn't help turn the franchise around that was struggling in the late 2000s. Uh, they could have had a crystal ball and they could have dealt him after that World Series, you know? Yeah, that's different. Yeah. I mean, that's, the revisionist history for the Nationals right. is a huge what if. You're absolutely right. If you get prospects for him, it makes, you know. But it, it, it is what you think about all the other first overall picks, and I was just looking at them. Some of these guys I forgot existed up until this point. 
you know, Brian Burlington was a first overall pick. Shout out to the Pirates fans out there. Delman Young, Matt Bush, Luke Hochaver, Tim Beckham, who had an okay career, don't get me wrong. Mark Appel. You know, there's a very massive boss. Exactly. Mickey Moniak. Remember Mickey Moniak? <laughs> another another Casey, massive boss. Casey Mize. And again, I'm, I'm leaving out names like James B. Swanson, like Carlos Correa, like mm-hmm. Garrett Cole, their first overall pick that become superstars. But again, I, I say that to say that the expectations for a first overall for Jackson Holiday are different than they are for Victor Wimbanyama. Right. You know, if yeah. Jackson Holiday busts and doesn't take a single major league at bat, it's a shame. But it, it's baseball. That's just how that developing prospects in baseball works. If Victor Wimbanyama has a horrible NBA career, it's considered one of the biggest. I mean, Kwame Brown. It's considered. Yeah, it's um, up there with Kwame uh, Brown. The, I'm, I'm struggling with names today. The first overall pick, big like, fat quarterback like, like, for the Raiders, uh, Jamarcus Russell. Big fat quarterback for the Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're talking like Michael Olawakandi yeah. and that, t- that type of level of. Shame, Ryan Leaf levels. If yeah, exactly. Shame, shame. Well, it it is for those guys. Shame anyway. on the organization, not the player. Yeah. We're not shaming players here. No, no it's, bullying. Yeah, it's it's that's the type of level. If he doesn't work out, which it's it almost seems like a formality than anything else at this point, mm-hmm. just because of how well put together everything seems. And I, I'm convinced on this. This is you put put on your uh your tin hat here. I think there's a reason the Spurs won the lottery is because. <laughs> They haven't been good for too long for the well, NBA. Well, that you could say that, but here's the thing: Would you trust an organization like the Charlotte Hornets or oh, the no. Portland Trailblazers <laughs> or Portland? Maybe Charlotte. No. Just but to, DC. Come on, yeah. Would Three you champions. Would you trust those organizations to handle your potential biggest superstar since LeBron James, or would you give it into the hands of Greg Popovich, who's done this with two other bigs? Hmm. That's that's your tin hat theory of the day. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't pass. I wouldn't put it past a lot of these uh, big leagues doing something like that. But you can always get in touch with us three zero four two six three four three two one is the text line. Tweet us at EP Sports Network. We'll be back to wrap things up and get Parker's picks on WPM and WCST Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Welcome back to Paint Handle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Proving it's never fails. Never failed once. Oh, Tampa, why did you blow the lead last night? Yesterday's lock of the day wasn't able to come through because the Rays blew a lead last night to the Royals of all teams. But uh, I, I, I don't get it. Why? Why, why Tampa? Man, he's right at now? a loss for work. Why, Tampa? You're the best team in baseball, and you lose to the second worst team in baseball in the Royals. I I don't know. Well, they they came out pretty bad in that game, too, because McClanahan had to come out. Cause doing baseball for you, man. Not good. Well, for the O's sake, hopefully the Rays peak too early, and now they're going to taper off a little bit, and that will cause the O's to win the AL East. But in the other picks for yesterday, I was able to hit barely on the under on nine and a half runs in the Diamondbacks-Nationals game, eight total runs in the 5-3 to three win for the Diamondbacks over the Nats, and then went to go Kyle Schwarber to hit a home run, wanted to get a little risky with it yesterday. He ended up having a terrible game, 0 for 5 with three strikeouts. But it's Friday. Let's get a win for the weekend. We're going to go with today's lock of the day. It is going to be Manny Machado getting two-plus total bases against the Nats today, and it's just because Machado, it's a left-handed pitcher. He's going against Patrick Corbin, and we've 
we've aired our grievances about Patrick Corbin before here on this program. I'm going to go Machado, two-plus total bases. He hits better against left-handed pitching, too. I'm going Machado to get those two-plus total bases. It's in San Diego, and I think Machado's able to get that today. Also going with Zach Greinke, going to be under three-and-a-half total strikeouts today. Greinke, I think he's one of those guys that pitches. He can pitch deep into games, but he doesn't pitch for strikeouts. And he's going against a Rays team. Well, we just talked about them having injuries. I don't think Granky's got the ability to strike out a ton in this Rays lineup. You look at the bats like Yandy Diaz and the uh, and the like on that team. They're pretty consistent. I don't think he gets four strikeouts. I'm going with the under today as well as I'm taking Masataka Yoshida going two plus total bases against the Chicago White Sox today for Boston. And I feel like he's one of the most consistent bats for the Red Sox right now. It's him and Rafi Devers they're trying to build around. I think Yoshida's got a good chance to go two-plus total bases against Lucas Giolito, who apparently is a big trade target for a lot of teams coming into the trade deadline here in about, what, like a little over a month now we're to the MLB trade deadline. I think with that coming up and being a rumor, I think this is a good chance for a guy like Yoshida to take advantage, get those two-plus total bases for Boston today. So, again, today's lock of the day is Manny Machado getting two-plus total bases against the Nationals for the San Diego Padres. Zach Greinke's under on strikeouts against the Royals and Masataka Yoshida, two-plus total bases with the Boston Red Sox against the Chicago White Sox. Well, of course, we are your home for Baltimore Orioles baseball. Had the day off yesterday, but tonight, 7.05 first pitch down at Camden Yards. They should be able to get it in. I don't see why. Uh, I don't think the rain's supposed to. shouldn't. Well, I guess I'm not a meteorologist, know. so you can't quite call that. So potential first pitch, 7.05 today. Regarding any weather, the 36 and 37 Seattle Mariners coming to town. 45 and 28 the O's so far, having a great season. Kyle Gibson on the mound for Baltimore going up against Logan Gilbert. It's a minus one and a half run line for uh, the Orioles. What are we think in game one of this series with Mariners coming to town? Same thing. I think you need to take two out of three from this series. You know, you've been getting good starts, and, and you need that to continue. You got Kramer going tomorrow. Uh, I, I don't know who's going to pitch on Sunday yet because I don't think the the Orioles have announced it. Um, but Kramer against Shelby Miller. I mean, the, the Mariners are still a tough out, but you got them at home. Um, and like I said, it, it's just the point in the season where you need to take games. Because right after that, ironically, you look at this next stretch of games and you thought that you'd had a really winnable series against Cincinnati and Minnesota. Minnesota's hitting the ball pretty well, and Cincinnati's the hottest team in baseball. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not easier said than done. And then you've got a four-game series against the Yankees July 4th weekend. Um, that's going to do a lot to either establish yourself as the number two team in the American League East or drop a bunch of games to the Yankees and potentially get knocked down to third. But that all starts with them, again, taking – uh, at least two out of three games for the Mariners this weekend, which I think is a necessity. Yeah, and I think so. With that ability to take this against the Mariners, you got to find a way to get it done because Gilbert, he's he's 500 on the year. He's one of the better young pitchers, I think, for the Mariners organization. But you look in the deeper in the lineup, you got Miller on Saturday coming up, and then Sunday they've announced it's going to be George Kirby. So Mariners have pretty good pitching on the roster. Thankfully, it looks like they're going to avoid Luis Castillo, which will be great for them. But it's it's a lineup in the Mariners. They have the ability to get going at any time. You look at the guys on that team, Julio Rodriguez. We know what he did last season. Eugenio Suarez has the ability to knock one out at any point. Ty France is one of their better hitters on this team. It's it's a team that can get going whenever things seem down and out because that's what they had last season. They had a second-half surge, and they made the last wild-card spot and kicked the O's out of the playoffs. This is another one of those series we've been talking about. If the O's are able to take something like this, it solidifies themselves being the top wild card team and one of the top teams in the American League. A series sweep of the Mariners or taking two out of three at home will, I think, secure that for the Baltimore coming in. 
Well, if you missed any of the show today, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. Got a few minutes left here, fellas. Anything else you want to hit? Uh, Mountaineer fans, I guess, would not be surprised that Oscar Sheboy didn't get drafted in yesterday's draft. <laughs> uh, neither did Kedrian Johnson. Did every Mountaineer fan kind of give a little fist pump when they saw probably. that this morning? I mean, he should end up on an NBA roster. He should get a contract because he was the best rebounder in the draft. He just was the worst everything else in the draft. Uh, and then some local guys picking up some offers we wanted to mention. Wesley Hancock, we talked about him, offensive lineman from Martinsburg, picked up a preferred walk-on offer from WVU and posted a picture of himself as a kid wearing some Mountaineer gear. Oh, nice. so, Love that. If, if he wants to make that move, go for it. But DeMonte Martin and Cash Gideon already have a couple of uh, interested Division One teams. They pick up another with an offer from Charlotte. Two very talented receivers. And i got to say, with the Shaq meme, Cash S. Gideon, I, I was unfamiliar with your game. You know, he was somebody that I didn't know if he would be in my top three wide receivers in the panhandle coming into the season, but now he might just be. There you go. Shout out to the 49ers one time. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, I got the uh, defense for the all-time WVU team should be out this weekend. The list is almost completely done. Offense is out right now if you want to take a look at it. Also, happy 18th birthday to, happy 18th birthday to little brother today. Man, he's had a busy couple weeks. Yeah. he's And a baseball season, making a state tournament run. Then he turns 18, graduates. Jeez. Life's coming fast. Telling you. How you feel old yet? Your little brother graduated high school. Oh, yeah. It's I, I feel ancient at this point. I my my best friend from high school and I recently talked and we brought that up and I said, Man, I remember when he was ten years old riding around on a little tricycle or something. Mm, only eight years ago. Yeah. All those eight years ago. Time flies. Time does fly, man. Time does fly. Speaking of which, we only got about uh, a minute left here, fellas. So uh, what are you doing this weekend? Got any, anything on the uh, on the books this weekend other than, of course, potentially uh, Legion Baseball right here say. on WPM and WCST? First trip in the wild of Frederick if mm-hmm. Legion Baseball holds up. Oh, McCurdy, that. man. Ugh, like I told you, I never played well, McCurdy. I hated going down there and playing. <laughs> uh, and then it was tough to play at the Key Stadium, too, because they had about... 800 advertisements on both the back walls. So if you didn't see the ball right in that about four-foot hitter's eye, then it was gone. You couldn't find it anywhere. But you can always get in touch with us, 304-263-4321. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. Uh, that just about does it for us today. Coming up here on Panhandle Live, it is Miss West Virginia weekend. So we have the reigning Miss West Virginia and Miss West Virginia Outstanding Team coming in to talk, chat about their uh, crazy year they've had and if they're ready for it all to come to an end in just a uh, few short hours. So that does it for us. Uh, if you miss any show, let's back to it a little bit later on. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you later. I'm busy loving you. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.